HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Laura Maniak, champagne evangelist, proprietor of Cork Buzz, and a master sommelier to boot. We'll talk to Laura about champagne, wine, and Cork Buzz. We'll also taste the wine with bubbles, but not from champagne for our weekly wine sip. Plus, Laura snuck something in. We'll drink that. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Laura Manick has been called the it girl of the New York wine scene by the Wall Street Journal. She has won numerous awards, including Food and Wine Sommelier of the Year and Wine Enthusiast 40 Tastemakers Under 40. She received her Master Sommelier certification in 2009 and is the proprietor of three, and I just found out, soon-to-be-four Cork Buzz, wine studio, restaurants, retail. We'll get into all of that. (laughs) Um, There's two in New York and soon-to-be two in Charlotte. Cork Buzz New York City has been nominated for a 2017 James Beard Award for Outstanding Wine Program, and that's a national uh, thing with about 20 nominees. So Laura's right in there. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thanks, Sam. It's good to be here. Great to have you here. Um, Before we get into everything, I want to frame you a little and give people an idea of who you are, where you came from. So tell me about your journey in life and wine that brought you to this point. For sure. Cork buzz. Of course. Yeah. So I've always loved wine and I've always loved the restaurant business. And I think the earliest memory is this mullet, this picture of me with a mullet. And (laughs) I'm at my grandma's house, which we went to every Sunday. And I see this picture just the other day, my dad gave it to me of me like navigating the wine behind the table. So I was just like really impressed by the labels and, and all of the, you know, imbibing that my family was doing at Sunday supper. And I think they say that I said, I want to own a restaurant. And I said that because I felt like my grandma's house was a restaurant and every day felt so fun on Sundays when I was there. And I I really thought that I love to take care of people, so I might as well uh, be a restaurateur. 
at the time, which was like, you know, I don't know, early 2000s when I realized it would be a career, I thought I have to be a chef. I mean, chef is creative. Chef is passionate. Chef is like hard work. And that's some of my core values. And I decided I would go to CIA for culinary school. You applied? I did. I applied. I got in. I was ready to go in October. Ready to cook? Ready to cook. (laughs) Ready to learn and cook. In 2001, um, so school starts in October. I take a wine class sort of by accident at Windows on the World in the World Trade Center. With Kevin Sraley? Um, actually, it was with the American Sommelier Association. Okay. But it was just held at Windows on the World. But obviously, Kevin is an amazing legend. He was on a couple months ago. Yeah, he's the best. But at the time, uh, I took this wine class just thinking, you know, I, if I'm going to be a restaurant owner someday, I'm going to have to round out my, my knowledge. And the first day of class, I was just like, this is insane that people make money doing this. Because, you know, the guy's talking about Poulini Marache and these amazing cheeses from the Loire Valley and, and, you know, his travel and he's speaking French and then Italian and English and Portuguese. And I'm like, this guy is amazing. I can't believe he gets paid to do this. So I thought, I wonder what a sommelier is, but I, I kind of didn't have the guts to make a career change because, I mean, I was signed up. I had a roommate. I was ready to go to Hyde Park. Oh, you were that deep into that it. That deep. Yeah, I mean, school was supposed to start in <laughs> October, and that was July. And so the class was Monday nights from 6 to 9, 103rd floor of the World Trade Center. So my last class was September 10th. The day before 9-11? Totally. You know, I mean, I feel so lucky, you know, I don't want to take anything away from the tragedy that happens the next day, but I feel so lucky that in a good way, because I like to look at the positive, you know, I would never have been in the wine business because the reason I didn't go to culinary school right after September 11th or that October was because the whole world changed. And, you know, in, in some ways it's like freedom to do what your heart's pulling you to do. You really and, focus on what's important. Yeah. To you. And, you know, I, I lived in the East village at the time. I mean, we saw everything happen right in, essentially before our eyes. And I was just a little shooken up and not ready. Not that it's so far in Hyde park, but I was just like, I got to stay grounded. I'm going to stay here. So the class resumed after September 11th in the be- in the Beacon restaurant because oh, of the so affiliation. it wasn't done. It wasn't done. It happened during the Correct. what was it about 15, 18 weeks? Yeah, it was, it was an eighteen week course, and w- let's call it we were on week twelve or something. Wow. So it was like, all right, well, I'm not going to go back to school. I'm not going to go to school just yet for culinary arts. Um, I'll just do this wine thing, finish this certification, and who knew what was going to happen at the time, but. I was working at Del Frisco's, actually. I, uh, I helped open the 49th Street uh, Del Frisco's in New York. I was working Terry there. Terry Hall? Pardon? Yeah. Was Terry Hall Yeah, there? totally. Yeah. And uh, I actually just saw Felix, who is like the major to the I stars. I worked in the building for a lot oh, of years. Oh, man, yeah. So I was, you know, I was working there September, 10th, uh, September 11th, actually. Um, what a great place that Del Frisco's is. But, yeah, and then at the time, um, Inez Holdernez, who is an incredible woman, was working at windows during uh, September 11th. She actually started working for Steve Hansen and she opened Blue Water or Bluefin in the W Hotel in Times Square. Long story short, she started and obviously rightly so was somewhat shooken up and restaurant openings are just like even sh- shake you up even crazier. And so I got hired as her assistant to go and help with the opening of Bluefin. Greg Harrington came from Vegas from Spago to work as the wine director for Be Our Guest. So Bluefin is part of Steve Hansen's it group. Was. It wasn't such a group then. Right. Did he have the Atlantic stuff before that? Oh, yeah. Up- yeah. So this was what, like his third, fourth, fifth? No, it was, a- it was like 10th. It, it was? was his first restaurant in a hotel. It was the okay. first restaurant after like the Ruby Foos era. Okay. Um, but yeah, anyway, so I went to be her assistant. But at, in February, she left and went to work at Dujac. She was just like, I need to do something different. And so she moved to the winery. Yeah. So she she moved moved to Burgundy and they were like, yeah, totally. (laughs) Uh, I love Jeremy. And so she was like, you know, or they, they said, well, who knows what to do with all this wine? And it was, you know, 2001 and Times Square. So super busy. And so I just kind of by default become the sommelier there and I'm 21 and I'm running a, you know, $35 million a year restaurant wow. wine program with you know another sommelier uh this guy paulo who's great as well and um yeah long story short i ended up working for hansen for 10 years you and became the, became wine, the wine director, director. yeah you were managing how many restaurants at the time he had 25 and then two hotels so i helped him build the hotel brand the james 
And You're talking tens of millions yeah. in retail and wholesale sales passing through. Yeah. To, I remember one, somebody said to me once, uh, you can make a pallet of Prosecco, you know, disappear in a week because we would buy, you know, 10 cases for Blue Water, 10 for Bluefin, this and that. So it was an important job. I mean, it was one of the few wine director positions in New York City. And it was, it was a ton of fun. I made partner with him right before he sold the company to Starwood Capital Group. So I helped with the, you know, PricewaterhouseCoopers, you know, that valuation. And it was a really successful sale for him. And it was great to be a partner. And, you know, we made some money. I bought, a ha- I bought an apartment and saved a bunch. And then I was able to open Cork Buzz years later. So was that the natural ending with Hanson for you in a way? Because all that stuff happened and there was a change? It was. And it wasn't because of the change. Because... Were you ready in your mind? Uh, I was to move ready. On? So I passed in 2009. I left in 2010. And I started my company in 2011. Well, I opened in 2011. Did you know then what you wanted to do or you were playing around with multiple ideas? No, I really wasn't playing around with any other ideas. I thought that I wanted to do my own thing. And I did think that I wanted to do something that hadn't been done in. New York at the time, which was to open a wine school. That was originally the plan. It was, it was only wine classes in the very beginning. It was just going to be why we called it a wine studio or why we still do is because I was inspired by, you know, a gym or a yoga studio that you drop in for classes that you are interested in and times that work for you. And at the time in New York, it was just like, if you wanted to take a wine class, it was 18 weeks, Monday nights, Wednesday nights, whatever the, the program was, which is a great way to experience an education in wine. However, busy New Yorkers Sometimes they just want a date night. Sometimes right. they wanted consumer. New Yorkers have a low attention span. Give <laughs> totally. it to me now. Let's go. Yeah. Um, we'll come back a little later and we'll talk about Cork Buzz. Okay, you great. know, and the whole wine education thing and, you know, your mission and all of that. But while I have you here, I want to tap into you on your expertise and, you know, what you've noticed has been going on. One of your true loves and passions is certainly (laughs) champagne. Absolutely. I mean, you are a bona fide expert. So get me up to speed about what's happening, trending in champagne. Not not just the region, but, you know. In general. Consumption. Yeah. I mean, what's going on? What's different now than when you opened up? What's, you know, hot and trending now? Yeah, you know, I think everything goes through phases. And I mean, certainly about five years ago was the extra brood or the zero dosage phase. Dosage being the sugar that they add. Right. So you're talking about no added sugar dryer. Right. That was a trend? That was definitely a trend. Okay. And so if you see the term zero dosage, as you know, or brute sauvage. Means very dry. Totally dry. And those were really good. And I think the sommeliers were really, like, uh, obsessed with that style. Um, I, I, I'm more of the, I like wines that are balanced no matter what they are. So some zero dosage can be like so austere, so gripping and racy and others can be really well rounded in their fruit. And so without sugar, it's fine. Um, so we're starting to go away from just like terms and being, uh, I only buy zero dosage and I, and I think we're returning back to champagne as a wine and it's so exciting to see because I've always thought. You know, champagne is more than aperitif and oysters. Champagne is... Or celebratory. Totally. Yeah. Or wedding cake. I mean, that's the only thing I won't drink champagne with. That's the problem. People perceive it as one way. I can't get enough champagne people on the show. I've had Alice Payard on. Oh, nice. I had David White just wrote a book about champagne. Amazing book. Um, You know, you're on. I'm twisting Peter Liam's arm. Oh, good. You know, because I think champagne is... It's it's not underrated. It's just people don't think of it. Yeah. Yeah. and you, you featured heavily. So the dosage thing. It was. Now it's not as much. So I, what does that mean? That champagnes are in the market where, or people are presenting champagnes where there's a little added sugar or it's not that important? I think it's just everything now. Whereas before, the most exciting things to people were the zeros. Right. And um, I, I think, you know, champagne, there's, there's a whole idea of grower champagne. Well, I wanted to ask you, tell people what a grower champagne is. So there's a a distinction where you can be a recoltant manipulant. So an RM letter on a bottle would just mean that the person who's bottling it also grew the grapes. Everything is in his or her control. 
So you would a, equate that to an estate grown wine. Absolutely. Can, the, the property is yours. You vint it. You're not contracting. Exactly. It's your style. Exactly. And a lot of times, you know, since Champagne is such a, a large region and it is the art of the blend, this is a little bit more site specific. So if you're a grower, producer, a farmer, fizz, you know, you can use any of those names. You might have a little piece of property in Avis in the south of Champagne and the Côte de Blanc. So if you only have that soil and you only grow those grapes, then that's a very specific style of champagne. Whereas the Grand Marks or the larger houses would say, okay, great, we, we have some property, but we also buy grapes. So that's the difference. A grower... So would you say they establish a house style and consistently they get close to it every year? I would say so. And I think one can't exist without the other. I mean, they're both unbelievable if you're talking about the best in their class. So I'm sure that there are growers that don't have the expertise or don't have the money or don't know what the consumers want, and maybe they're not as good. And then there's large houses that maybe their reputation has always been good, but maybe their quality is not as good as it used to be. Or, you know, you can make a point that one is better than the other, but I really think that they're both so important. And I feature both growers and small production champagne houses, and I also love the tried and true and the the brands that you know our consumers would ask for. So growers been a hot term for years. Yeah, I mean grower growers have been growing grower <laughs> champagne for a long time. Totally. You know, recently it's you know it's been a preference. I'm just curious, how many grower? champagne makers are there is it hundreds is no it, there's like tens of thousands i mean there's I think, that many i think the number i've heard last was there are twenty thousand, you know growers and these are all growers. obviously in the region of champagne right not all of them bottle their own wines. right Some people just grow grapes now is most of it good or like anything some of it is shit yeah i mean some of it's not as good Right. Well, listen, you're talking about champagne. I mean, and it's hard to ask me because I think champagne is just great. Like no bad matter champagne's what. better than a cold Coca-Cola any day <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's let's tap into you a little more. Talk to me about some of your favorites. Okay. At every range of the spectrum. Perfect. And then talk to me about some good value champagnes. Sounds good. Like Jake, my son, is sitting here. He's going to go to a party and bring a couple of bottles. He ain't spending more than 40 50 bucks. So we want to get there. So let's talk about favorites, okay. any range, and let's talk about some values. Okay. So for the, the Grand Marks, the larger houses that are still, I think, the best of the best, you have Champagne Ruinard. And I love Runard. I think they're Blanc. One of the oldest. One of the oldest to make intentional sparkling. And their caves are so deep. Like they have these crier that just go, you know, 80 meters down. Wow. Insane visit. One of the best. Can you visit? Oh, yeah. It's open to the public? I think you have to make Uh, an an appointment. appointment. But still, yeah. But it's a sight to be seen, the caves. I'm telling you, I haven't been that impressed by a winery visit in God knows how long. Wow. It's so incredible. You see these little etchings in the the crier of, like, you know, people during World War II making little places to pray. Wow. And you think about the entire city of Rennes being inverted in these caves. So, you know, if it was bombing upstairs above ground, you have these caves where people were safe and they went to school down there. And it just gives me the chills thinking about the history. It's and more than just the wine. It's so it's much. the whole history. It's the history. Every world war. I so mean, Ruinart is R-U-I-N-A-R-T. Yes. Expensive, and, right? I think it's, you know, qualitative price for value is there. I okay. mean, listen, it's not $25 No, no, and I'm not talking about that. Yeah. you can get sparkling wine for that price. Champagne exactly. definitely starts higher. So it's, it, there's some reasonable range for that. Exactly. What else? Well, so there's a, a grower, producer. He started off as a grower, which is interesting, but now he's also buying grapes. And his Raphael Beresh. So, B-E-R-E-C-H-E? Yes. Okay. So Barash family is another incredible property. It's in the region of Lude, which is um, technically in the Montandarens, and he's doing so many cool like single parcel sites. Um, but his entry level, like Valle de la Marne, is so good. And most recently... How he, many champagnes is he making? I think he's up to, you know, close to 20 different... Really? Yeah. Wow. So he has Beauregard, and he has... L'Enfant, but uh, I, I just think his Valle de la Marne Cuvée is delicious. And what a 
like great guy. I was tasting with him and his son about three weeks ago when we visited uh, Champagne in, in Paris. And it was just like the most incredible thing. You're seeing this dad teaching his son who's cool. seven, you know, he said to him, like, grab this black glass and tell me what you smell in the wine. He didn't taste it, but he just smelled it. And he goes like, oh, raisin, like raisins. <laughs> and I was like, good kid. It smells like grapes. You're That's right. Great. So you, cool. you neglected to mention earlier that when you left Steve Hansen and before you opened Cork Buzz. Didn't you go to Champagne? I did. I worked did you work a harvest? 2010 harvest, and I did a lot of the cocard, which is the press that they use. So I worked in the press house, and I worked in the vineyards. Did you work at... Uh, I worked at La Ert. La Ert. Yeah, okay. so again, in right outside of Epernay. You just thought, listen, I have this break in time here. Let me go. Exactly. And most restaurants, when I was with Hansen, they opened in September, which is the Vendage or the Harvest. Right. So it was like the only free time I ever had to work Harvest. You'll you'll never regret doing that. Oh, no. All right. So give me a couple of great value champagnes. What's rocking for the low end of the price spectrum? There is uh, Champagne Rotorer, and their Brut Premier is delicious. I think, you know, you can bring that to a party, Jake. Uh, Rotor is a it. big house. Yeah, okay. it's, a, it's a great house. And they're doing some experiments with biodyma- biodynamics, so they're cool. Um, let's see. I love Marie Noella Drew, although it's not like super value, but I think... So Marie, N-O-E-L-L-A-T? No, it's uh, N-O-E-L-L-E, and then the second name is L-E-D-R-U. Ledru, M- Marie okay. Noel Ledru, and that's a good quality, good Great value. Great quality, Ambonet. So she's in one of the the, the riper uh, regions. Let's see what else. One more. Um, it's always like when you're on the spot, you're just like rocking your brain of your favorites. It's um, all right if you can't think of one. All right, you think of this. We'll let go me, back. Let me ask you this: You would know this better than anyone. Tell me the best way to serve champagne. Tell me temperature. Tell me glasses. You know, everyone's stuck on flutes. That could be bullshit, I think. Yeah. It doesn't have to be. So tell me, you know, you don't want it too cold. Nope. Some people don't mind it warm because the flavors come out. But what's what's ideal? So I would say you. I love serving champagne in white wine glasses. That's ideal okay. to me. If it's a big, more open, yeah, more than the narrow flute, and right. the narrow flute traps and and lets the bubbles be expressed, but you don't really get the aroma because your the the bubbles will go through your nose and right. can't really smell them that way. So I think a white wine glass is perfect if it's a richer style, like vintage and or if it has oak, or if it is like a really ripe village. Something that then really, what? then I would use a, a white burgundy glass or okay. a burgundy so glass. So a white wine or a white burgundy. Yeah. So I, burgundy, which is a fine wine, you use it for the vintage better ones. Correct. Every day you're better off using a white wine glass. Screw the flute yeah. type thing. Now tell me about temperature. So temperature, I'm in the like 48, 48 to 52 range. So a refrigerator's colder. You can refrigerate it, let it sit exactly. for a little and... Exactly. If you have storage, you probably keep your cellar at 56 degrees, give or take. If you have a little closet, you could set it to that, the white wine setting and all of that. All right. What We talked about this earlier. What other wines and wine regions, and you can go anywhere, are exciting you right now? Sounds good. I'm obsessed with the Alto Piedmont, the the high Piedmont, so just above Verlo. there's a difference between Piedmont and Alta Piedmont? I think Is that it, like the hills? Yeah, it's the northern part just above Barolo Barbaresco. So there's regions that, um, like Gamay or Gatinara, they're two regions. And I just recently attended a seminar of amazing wines from Alto Piedmont. So if you love Barolo, but you don't want to spend $100 in a restaurant plus plus, I think Piedmont from the northern part of Piedmont is a great value wine region. So same grape. I should know this, and I don't. So because I don't, that means my listeners probably don't. So Piedmont is famous for Barolos, Barbarescas, Albazastis, and all that. Exactly. The Alta Piedmont. Are they making Barolos and Barbarescas, or they're growing a different grape, or both? So the grape in Barolo Barbaresco that everyone knows and loves is called Nebbiolo, right? And Tuscany they, Sangiovese. So Nebbiolo is exactly you know, in the that region, right? So Nebbiolo is the grape of choice in in Alto or okay. High Piedmont. Yes, got it. So same grape, but of course they can't call it Barolo because they're not in the 
the geographical like champagne. boundaries. Exactly. Give me a couple of people that are doing it well in Alta Piedmont. So Nervi, I love Nervi. N-E-R-V-I? Uh-huh. Okay. And then Iopo, which is the producer I just brought you right. for Rosé. So we're going to drink Nebbiolo Rosé today. That's great. Bringing in the spring. Are they, do they tend to be a little less money or not necessarily? Absolutely. So there's a value there. Incredible value. Now, stylistically, differences? Yeah, a little lighter than Barolo Barbaresco, some some different soil types in the north, so you have a little bit more sand. They t- they tend to be more soft, a little more perfumed, a little more alpine in, in the acidity. So that just means, like, if you like the rustic, bigger style of truffles and rose petals that you get in Barolo, this might be a little more, you know, pine or tar, but in a softer way. So don't drink it thinking it's going to be a Barolo. Be open to the fact that same region, same grape, little different style. Little different, right? Yeah. Like you said, if you want the rose petals, that classic stuff, um, you could buy the. Give me something else that's exciting to you. I'm excited by Georgia, the Republic of Georgia, and their wines. I, I really was at love the them. Raw Wine Festival and oh, tasted so a bunch cool. of wines. Yeah, so I like that. Tell arm. me why. I mean, what are they doing? Well, I mean, Georgia the, and Russia, right? Or the well, for me in in this case, I'm talking about the wines from Georgia and the Republic of Georgia. They've been making wine since I don't know before in amphoras. Yeah, well, in amphora, which they call quevri, and they're making everything from s- some sparkling. Although I haven't had that many, all the way through light whites that are fresh. Then this orange style, which a lot of people, it's very. Um, it's a, a conversation piece that a lot of guests are coming in and asking about. But these orange wines have like almost like a tea-like tannin, and they have just so much complexity. And they're really great for the table. And it's a, an exciting uh, food and wine pairing with these orange wines. Then they make lighter reds, and then they make fuller reds. Of course, they make dessert styles. But I, I think they're... Are they accessible and oh, available. Yeah, totally. I mean, bigger, better wine stores, certainly in New York City, restaurants are yes. starting to carry them. Yeah, I would say that right now we're about to add a, a rosé from Georgia. We have a red by the glass and we have a white by the glass. So it's it's a it's a very important region to look for. That's great. Give me something or can you give me something domestic? Oh yeah. I'm you know, I've always been a huge fan of Napa and Sonoma. And I'm getting married in November, and I chose Napa because so many places uh, that are just so important to me in my memory of Napa, and I've been there three times in the past month. I'm, you know, not afraid to say that I love domestic wine, you know? So what do you like in Napa? There's been, you know, the argument. I had Jasmine Hirsch on. She had In Pursuit of Balance, you know, toned down Pinot Noirs. There's all the cult wines. Right. I mean, there's a whole range. What do you like? I'm in the middle. Like, I'm Kathy Corson all the way. I love Corson wines. I love Maya Kamas. I'm, you know, I like the guys that are doing it and are established, but are always willing to just, you know, check in with themselves and try new things. But... So, I mean, Robert Sinsky Vineyards. He's uh, one of the few biodynamic. Chapelet. I mean, these guys are just so established. They've been making wine there since the 80s. That's true. Or 70s in some cases. Which is a long time for Napa. Yeah. And, you know, listen, I am really good friends with Carissa Mondavi, and I love her. I don't think there's like, she's, I mean, she's like her, her grandpa. You know, she's so yeah. generous and so passionate. passionate and so humble. And I mean, continuum when, you know, her and her father and her brother started that winery. I mean, they have so much history and no, no Napa, like literally the back of their hands. And yet they're still, you know, working the market and never um, taking their reputation and just right. like doing, well, you know, it's dialing a whole new it in. Generation, different projects. Yeah. Different perspective and all of that. Um, how about Sonoma? I love Sonoma, too. What do, you, what do you like there? Well, you mentioned Jasmine and obviously her wines are beautiful. Hirsch. I really like, you know, Linmar, which is in Russian River. I mean, Beautiful. one of my favorite people, period, in the world is Joy Sterling. So, I mean, Iron Horse, you talk about domestic sparkling wine. I was going to say, Iron Horse is a big sparkling house. So good. I had their 91 Joy the other day out of Magnum, and I was like, this is like as good as champagne. They're making good stuff Incredible. consistently. Schramsberg. Schramsberg. Amazing. We're going to taste the Schramsberg. So, Iron Horse. Add a Sonoma is a great sparkling wine house. I'm it's glad such to hear a beautiful that from place you. to visit too. 
All right, so we're going to move on to cork buzz, which is a very important part of your life and consumes <laughs> a lot of your time. So you talked about how you left um, working with Steve Hansen, the big BR guest restaurant group, took a little time off. You did the uh, harvest in Napa. And you must have been plotting in your mind. Things started getting specific. Take me from that point on how everything came about. Great. So my uncle is my business partner now and was when we started the company. His name is Frank. So I'll just, I don't call him uncle because it's just too long. (laughs) So Frank um, and I decided to become partners. But after I came to him and said, I'm getting ready to leave the company, be our guest. You pitched him, sort of. Yeah, and I wasn't pitching him to be my partner. He was a retired software guy, and he sucked at retiring. I mean, he just, like, couldn't (laughs) stop working. Actually, I think he's calling me now because he wants to chat about our business. But um, Frank, we're on the air. Hi, Frank. We can't pick up. Anyway, so he he was just as smart and successful in business and a mentor to me. So I said, hey, I'm, I'm looking to start my own company. Can I bounce some ideas off of you? I went to his apartment in Chelsea, and he said, okay, sure. He basically took notes for me. He, I wrote my business plan by just dictating to him my ideas. And about halfway through the business plan, he was like, this is a really great concept, and I'm really bad at retiring, and I think I can add value, and I can show you how to start a company and how to, how to run one. From a business standpoint, obviously, you know the restaurants and the wine start part of it. And um, so that's, you know, that's how we started. And I mean, open arms right away. It was sounded just, good. Yeah, it was just like, you know what? I have money. He wanted to invest. I have my own investment. We'll raise some outside money just because we, we think that's important. And we um, so we created a business plan. We started looking at real estate in New York. We found our location on 13th between 5th and University. Which Did you have a neighborhood in mind or the best value? I had. I mean, I, did you want to be downtown? I wanted to be in Union Square. You did. Okay, so you. Yeah, I you really specified. did. And you know, we built the place from from a paper store. I mean, it wasn't an existing restaurant, so we did everything from the fit and finish and plumbing and electrical. We. I remember built going in there right after mm-hmm. you opened, and we were talking. You didn't really know me then, but. You said you and Frank were stapling the fabrics oh, on yeah. the back of the bolsters. <laughs> I did, or, yes. Yeah. I mean, I was like, Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah, you Talk know. about jumping into the whole thing. The whole thing. So you open up when? We opened November 29th, 2011. So we, it just turned five. And you mentioned earlier, and this is a big part, that wine education mm-hmm. was really an important aspect or the backdrop for this. So right. talk to me about that. So the original business plan says we'll do classes, we'll host wine events, we'll do wine dinners. It'll be that, like we just talked about. And uh, we started looking at real estate and the value pricing you know, in New York City, and we were like, wait a minute. We can't just open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for these classes and then close. And you know, also it didn't really fit the brand because the brand is about empowering people, and it's about come on in, learn about wine. And if I teach people about, let's just say, Nervi and Gattinara and these Piedmont producers. And then I'm like, okay, well, class is over. Go find a glass of wine with your friends somewhere else. So, so it, back up for a second because I'm not confused, but I just want to clarify. The original idea was not to open what it is now, nope. but some kind of wine education yeah. space. And as you said, it evolved to all these things right. so you could serve people that way. Right. So imagine that the original business plan was just we open for classes and we close as soon right. as the classes are done. You lose everyone for food and exactly. you know other drinks and all. So the restaurant or the wine bar piece was part of the education it came after so yes we will teach you about wine and then you can just have wine and food as well so now that's a large part of our business so you i you know in in going in there and reading stuff you use the words approachable Mm -hmm. and never intimidating right which is sort of what this show is we're not talking to the industry we're not talking to other psalms if People could walk away with something today. They'll go and try an Alta Piedmont wine. I or love it. One of your champagnes. And I think that's somewhat of your approach. Even though you get professionals in there, how, how do you approach that? I mean, what is approachable and never intimidating? 
What well, do you I, mean by that? I think you're right. It's wine for for the people, for everyone. And I mean, we could have created an industry hangout, but you know, everybody's busy working in the right. industry. Um, it means the neighbors that don't know anything about wine, and they are saying, "I'll have Pinot Grigio," or "Do you know of anything that's like Pinot Grigio?" And you just like, of course we do, and you're enthusiastic, and you pour three different wines. And, you know, wine bars are great because you have so many wines by the glass. So right. you really can teach How someone. How many wines by the glass are you running on in average? Right now it's about 45 to wow. 50. And, you know, so you have all of these styles and you're able to really just sit with someone, even if it's five minutes, and say, try this wine. I mean, last night I must have tried one of our guests in the snowstorm on, you know, six <laughs> you different red wines. Night? There yeah. was a big snowstorm in New York. Yeah, I just, like, shoveled the path and opened. <laughs> Good place to come. Why not? Nothing else yeah. is open. So, yeah, so, you know, I mean, you just try people on wines and you show them by example. Do do most people come in? I know people come in after work, happy hour, drink. Yep. They're coming and going. And some people come in because they know what you're doing. Right. They leave it to you, right? So that's where you'll turn people on to different things. Do you consult people what do you like what do of you of course look? you know uh, my thing would never i would never be successful if it was all about me it's really about my staff too i mean my time is spent helping my team understand what what does it mean to be an approachable place that people could ask any question and it's not stupid and you can just really show them if they're like haven't had orange wine you you could have a flight called orange is the new rosé and, you know, that's what we do. And, and so it's somewhat subtle education. But my staff is really all about it, too. So they'll, they'll be more than happy to just say, you don't know the difference between Albarino and Gruner. How about we try them both? People as are... simple as that. That's crazy. I had uh, Pascaline. Yeah, she's so here. good. She said you helped her with oh. her, you know, MS. That's really nice. So I mean, tell people quickly what a MS is. It's a master sommelier. We've talked about it on the show over and over. Sure. We did with Pascaline. But, you know, in order to achieve that, mm-hmm. tell and people what you had to do. So you, you pass an, a series of exams, and uh, the master's exam is invitation only once a year. And you have a blind tasting. You have a theory paper, which is a verbal exam. And you have this practical or service uh, portion. So what you have to do is be an expert at beer, sake, wine, spirits, All cocktails. beverages? Anything you can pour. <laughs> we joke around and say even like coffee, water. Wow. But, you know, it's... it's and it's easy. It only took you how many years to pass? Six years. Six years. It's, it's one of the most difficult tests, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it, it really, um, for wine, it's it just makes you keep getting better and better. So for me, I only did it as a personal goal because I wanted to be an expert at the thing I love the most. But you got it back in 09, right? Yeah, it was quite a while ago. So yeah. uh, seven years? You've been carrying that yeah. for a long time. Does that help you with the wine education? I mean, I think it's definitely good for credibility. I mean, if people meet me and they're like, oh, you look young still, and <laughs> that's really good. And and then they're like, wait, you're a master sommelier? So it's a really great uh, point of people taking what you're doing seriously you know i don't think that you need to be a master sommelier in order to be successful i mean right i have a high regard for you were so driven many. to do it yeah. there are people that are very well informed that are not MSs. absolutely or mw is another right. great but it's the there's, highest accreditation there's, there's different certifications so you open the cork buzz in union square on 13th street but it doesn't end there no tell me what happens you get an itch you get a bug I was a little, yeah, I was definitely always going to open more than one. And um, anywhere that we felt like it would be helpful to guests to, you know, have this wine education space. Chelsea Market, which is the iconic, you know, New York institution. It was the old Nabisco factory in Chelsea. So they approached us. They said, we want to open a wine bar in Chelsea Market. And they came in a lot and they loved our food and they really liked the approachability. And so they asked us to open a small, like, I mean, it's a jewel box, like a teeny space inside of Chelsea Market. So we Turned did that. Turned out to be a good it's, location it's for you? amazing. Great. What a, what a great collection of other um, stores are in that market. Yeah. I mean, it's New York. The food and it's everything. It's so good. Yeah. There's also a good wine store in there, too. I love Chelsea Vine, yeah. wine Vault. So you open that. You open that what year? Uh, 2014. With Missy Robbins, actually. 
Oh, you did? She was our opening chef. So Missy Robbins is like a food Lauren. <laughs> Missy is. Uh, she's, she's probably one of the hottest, best, most passionate restaurateurs. She, she has is. Lily in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. She just which got is, the James Beard. So Missy's finals. a partner with you. No, she or was. She, no, 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 no. She wasn't a partner. She is a really dear friend. Um, she was getting ready to open her place, so she had the summer she to be creative you. and free, and cool. so we hired her as a consultant, and she helped us with the opening. Great. So, for some crazy reason, you have to explain this, you continue to expand, <laughs> you open up in Charlotte, North Carolina. Right. Well, that's where Frank is You're current. a latent... Um, Panthers fan or something? <laughs> Wait, what about Frank? So Frank is currently living in Charlotte. So his family, which is my cousins and my aunt, they they went to school there. Well, now my aunt, my cousins. And um, he built a house there to be close to his kids and his grandchildren. And when we would go there for holidays, we're like, wow, this could use a, a cork market. bus. It could really use very a cork bus. Very upscale, very yep. hip. Second largest banking city. Right. A lot of our banking clients. Banking center. They're yeah. there. So... It was a natural fit. The rent is much less expensive than New York and all of the operating expenses. But, you know, I think why we wanted to be there is it's an emerging food scene. You know, that whole area is is really blowing up. And I think we could be one of the first to do this wine education and high quality um, food and wine exciting uh, events and classes. So we did. And we opened there to it'll be two years in July. That's great. Yeah. Now, when you look around, you know, I've been in New York my whole life. I don't think there's a lot of people doing what you're doing. That's exciting. Thank you for saying that. I mean, that. There's, there are places that do classes. Mm-hmm. There are restaurants. But I think you wrap it around all together. I Thank mean, you. do you feel that you're not exclusive in the category, but you're at the top of the heap? I mean... Yeah. It- I think, like you said earlier about... You know, we're wine for the people. So, I mean, we are the go-to place for a lot of gifts and wine classes, and people want to create something. People want experiences. You know, they don't just right. want to go eat and drink. So, even our wine, like our corporate events. You know, you want to do a blind tasting, team building exercise. People come to Wrap us. Wrap it for around that. wine. It's, it's th- a- so that we are unique in that way. And you did say something earlier. I mean, if you go on your website. There is, you know, a list of past classes. The classes are usually what? One night, multiple nights. There's an outline. You're yes. pretty thorough. Typical New Yorkers. Exactly. Get it to me. <laughs> yeah, we have an hour and a half class. Usually it's a subject, but you don't have to take one every week. But there are always Monday right. classes, Wednesdays, right. Saturday, it's not, Sunday. It's your choice yeah. to do it, um, which is the best way to do that. Um, I'm I'm always curious about this, about women and wine. Yes. Um, we've had a lot of women and wine on the show. You know, some of the best people in the business. Why do you think it's taken so long for women to become, you know, more prominent? If you look in New York and you look at winemakers, it's starting to really happen. Is it the obvious reason? I think you know historically, the sommelier job was definitely more of a, a man's job in the restaurant business can be hard. It doesn't have to it's be. It's like banking. It's the exactly. way it was. It's just the way it was. And it just took a while to climb to the top of the heap. Um, you but needed I, some tenacious people early on. It's true. And, you know, I have to say in New York, you would expect like the men to be like cutthroat and, you know, just uh, not welcoming. I never had that experience. I was very lucky. I have a lot of very generous people and mentors and people you know, you think about the industry, and New York is actually very uh, collaborative. Yeah. So, so it was, was never gender competitive. Not for me. People embraced each other as a community. Yeah. So New York is a good market for that. I, you know, I would guess most big markets, Chicago, L.A., yeah. Charlotte. Yes. I mean, I, I would think so. All right, we're going to break in a couple of minutes, but I have a couple more questions I wanted to ask you about. I wanted to get your take on... The organic, biodynamic, natural wine movement, Mm -hmm. which is, you mentioned orange wine, which is always, and I want to talk to you a little about social media. So give me your take on um, biodynamic, organic, natural wines in the sense of, has it been a trend for a bunch of years? Has it always been there? I mean, do you, more people ask for it? You serve more? 
I bet if I interviewed you six years ago, you wouldn't be talking about orange wine, or maybe. That's true. No, you're right. I mean, I, I definitely think that the conversation has moved towards natural wine and organics and biodynamics, that people have uh, a desire to know that they're doing the best they can for the environment, for the future. and The sustainability the, aspect. Exactly. And, I, and, you know, I think Pascaline probably did uh, talk about it, and she is a pioneer in New York, and she's certainly moving the needle in terms of, you know, only having right. that style That's of wine. That's one choice. And so is Wild Air, which are, are great right. places that I'm, you know, I love going to. You know, I've never been all natural, only natural. That's not really my style in general. While I appreciate it, I also like, you know, for winemakers to intervene when they need to. And right. I, and it's, my, my list is not organized at, at that A high that percentage of your wines are traditional versus farmed. esoteric, right? Yes. And that's, you know, well, no again. No poo-poo to that. No, no. Everybody to each his own, you know, and everybody has to do what what they believe is right for their business or for themselves. So, I mean, I really, really love the idea that we're going to leave the earth hopefully better for our, right. our next, the next generation. So, I mean, however we can be sustainable is important to me. And um, but People have been practicing it for a long time and not necessarily carrying the monikers you know, with them. I mean, in Europe, Italy, France, for sure. Right. Um, so... You have everything. I have you everything. You have the traditional wines. Like you said, yeah, the, have the orange wines. All right, jump to social media. Um, social media didn't really exist nope. much in the wine world, not that many years ago. It's escalated. How has it changed you, your business, wine? It's it's a good thing, right? It's incredible. You, are you a heavy user? I love it. Yeah. So Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You know, I think that people want to know what's going on. And I, I'm lucky that we have, you know, a lot of followers, both personally and as well as our businesses. And I think that we, we can really, like, excite people via social media. If they have not come to Cork Buzz, you can show them what's going on, what winemakers are in town. I mean, it's really great marketing tool. the quickest way to communicate all of the exciting things that are literally happening so fast. So I think it's it's as important as email blasts. Right. And to keep your your guest engaged with the brand is I think why people are loyal to to us because they feel like they're part of the conversation and they're they're not just coming in once a week. They they kind of hear these mini messages and we try not to just make them commercials for whatever we want people to buy. We try to like teach via social media too. So sometimes it's just like an article about this property and why we think it's special so i i use it for discovery I yeah mean, for you to use it for marketing and i'm sure you do what i do i'm just curious you know what's laura talking about where she been if she went to a tasting you know you usually point out what you like yep. you'll see a trend and all that there's a lot of discovery i, I think it's very positive um all right we're gonna take a quick break when we come back i want to subject you to our wine list which is a bunch of questions and then we're going to taste a couple of wines on there. We're going to pop and screw some corks, all right? <laughs> so we'll be good. right back. We're with Laura Maniac from Cork Buzz. Today's program is brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, period. Why? Lush grasslands, glacial water supply, fourth-generation cheesemakers, combining old-world tradition with the new ideas and highest standards. The very best milk. What do you think of when you think of Wisconsin cheese? For me, I think cheese curds, delicious fresh cheese curds, or deep-fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any time, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese Company, the operation behind the Pleasant Ridge Reserve cheese that's literally America's most awarded cheese. I think of the deliciously stinky Limburger and its long-storied history. I think about Raleigh's Dumbarton Blue, a perfect blend of English-style cheddar and notes of blue. 
I think of Emmy Roth's Grand Cru Sur Choix, which was named 2016's World Champion at the World Championship Cheese Contest. Wisconsin is like the world champion of cheese, and once you start reading the list of cheeses made in Wisconsin on their website, you can see why. The Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board is a nonprofit organization funded entirely by Wisconsin's dairy farm families. Read more at eatwisconsincheese.com. And as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, eat Wisconsin cheese. It's a no-brainer. All right, we're back with Laura Maniac. Laura, am I saying your name right? You know, it's so funny. I'm about to give that name up, but it's Manic. But is it you, manic? You know what, though? Like, I knew that. No, it's so That's funny. That's why I asked The you. reason I don't care is because I like... So many people have been calling me maniac or maniac. Well, that's or, sort of a natural so like, like, fun thing. But exactly. I, so I just like really just like, yeah, I just go with it all. <laughs> or like Laura mentioned earlier, she's getting married uh, in November, right? Woo. So you're going to drop the name? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. All right, Laura, I want to subject you to our wine list. It's a list of questions. And normally we do one version. I want to do a special version with you. I want to do the wine and champagne version. So every question is going to require probably two answers. Okay. Nothing too crazy. So the first question is, what are you drinking now? What, what wines are you trying that you've drank, you know, over and over? Is it seasonal? I'm drinking orange wine. Okay. I'm drinking Georgian wine. Um, I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm. I, you know what I like? I love Gruner Veltliner from Austria. Okay. So I'm drinking lots of Gruner, all different styles. Okay, so Gruner, orange, and Georgian wine. Now, champagne. Are you trying anything? Are there any areas, producers, growers? Yes. I love the Aube, which is... What is that? It's A-U-B-E. That's a region in France? Yes. Okay. And it's the southernmost region, and it is most of the time Pinot Noir. However, 100% Pinot a lot? Right. Okay. And uh, it's one of the few regions in Champagne where it's very much about organics and biodynamics, just because they don't have the pest issues that they have in the north. Give me a producer. That's good. Uh, Let's see. I like Marie Cortin. Spell the last name. C-O-U-R-T-I-N. Marie Cortin is really good. But there's so many. If you want a larger producer to try from the Aube, you can try Drapier. Drapier is very good. So good. All right. Let's keep moving. Favorite wine and food pairing. Favorite wine and champagne pairing. Let's start with favorite wine and food pairing. Okay. You personally. So I, I really like these ideas of flavors that marry in the wine and in the food. So we had this Moroccan red wine by the glass, and we have this lamb with apricot and harissa, which is this spice. And, I mean, this wine, it's um, a grape that you probably have not heard of, Arena, Aria Noah. So um, it's a really cool wine, and it has a lot of this exotic flavors and Moroccan spices. Sounds interesting. Yeah, you'll have to come try it. All right, now sh- give me a champagne. Anything and fried in champagne. I mean, the bubbles cut through the salt and the acid and in the champagne makes like anything fried taste like really refreshed. So a couple of people guests have said fried chicken, fried chicken. And you know, I'm just like simple. So I'll do French fries and Blanc de Blanc champagne. So it's a perfect foil for perfect. that. All right. Give me besides cork buzz. And I guess this is an admiration question. Your favorite wine restaurant and or wine bar. Let's just do New York. I mean, who do you admire? That's I love Gramercy Tavern. It's it's. Okay. I think it's what I aspire to be, and, and my inspiration for Cork Buzz. But I I love Rouge Tomat. I think they're doing a great job. So Gramercy Tavern is a full blown restaurant with an amazing wine program. Rouge is similar to that. Yes, but it's a little more. Uh, restricted the menu yes. and the wine, like you said, is a lot of natural and Shannon and all. Correct. Of so those are two good ones. Um, favorite all-time wine, something Ooh. that moved you, that's memorable. It could be a birth year. Can I know you think it. of one? Yes, you do. Definitely. Wow, a I lot like, of people toil over this. One. Well, I'm Ravino, which is a Chablis producer that I love. 
I remember drinking the Lake Clo, the Grand Cru of Lake Clo. You have a year? At, yeah, nineteen. Uh, I I love the nineteen ninety nine. So I remember that wine like Ravino nineteen ninety nine Lake Clo. Mm-hmm. Pretty good choice. Um, all right, you definitely can help me here. Best wine. This goes back to Jake again. Best wine under fifteen bucks or around fifteen bucks. Recommend a red to me and recommend a white. You you need producer name too. You can go category if you okay, can give we'll me get, a producer. We'll get there. Yeah. So I I I would say Gruner Veltliner is always a great value from white, Austria. White wine under fifteen. I like this producer called Vimer Cherny, which is like W I M M E R C Z E R N Y. Got a mouthful there. And for reds, I mean, you know, I think you can't go wrong with Sangiovese from, you know, Tuscany and as Can a you category. Get 15 bucks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, are I they think, Rosso di Montalcino? I think or you could do Chianti Classico Chianti or Classico. Rosso di Montalcino. You know, I, I really like like producers like Badia at Cotobono. Uh, maybe it's a little more than yeah, 15. Maybe 18 bucks. Yeah, or but something. still, it's, it's like, on the lower end of that. And scale. you can find it. Yeah. Um, accessibility is important. So those are two good ones. All right, last one. Give me, I guess I'll narrow this. Give me your best grower champagne. I think it's Raphael Baresh. Baresh, be. as you mentioned earlier. Yeah, I really like Savart too, S-A-V-A-R-T. I forgot that was the one I was thinking of. And there's another producer called Kalsak. Spell C- it. C-A-L-S-A-C. Okay. All three of those are really great value champagne. Great. Um, all right. So that's our wine list. You did an admirable job. You mm-hmm. moved quickly. You were very specific. Now we're going to move to our weekly wine sip. Every week we taste a different wine on air. Great. For our weekly wine sip this week, I brought in a wine and Laura brought in a wine. I brought in a sparkler from napa valley the 2009 schramsberg brut rosé it's 70 percent pinot noir 30 percent chardonnay available at better wine stores um you can get this vintage and current vintages i think it's around 35 45 bucks laura you brought in i brought in iopa which is i-o-p-p-a i brought their Rosé of Nebbiolo, 2016, which is from Piedmont in Italy. Okay, so we'll try both of them. Let's talk about the champagne first. Schromberg, Schromsberg, pretty good producer. Love it. Very okay. iconic. Um, and the Iopa is small, for me, large. For me, it was brand new. I'd, I hadn't heard of it until I went to the seminar on, on the High Piedmont or Alto Piedmont. And so to me, I think it's a very small production Winery. All right, let's try the Iopa first. Jake, will you help us and pour the bottle? Pour Laura, pour me. Vitor, David, can you come in and uh, help us drink these wines? All right, so this is the Iopa. This is, it's got that, we'll talk about the characteristics in a second. I think it's important to drink, you know, still rosé, current vintage. And, I mean, of course, some rosés age, but for our listeners... If What's the vintage year on this? 2016. So it's, 2016. it's brand new, fresh. It's got a sort of a pale salmon color, right? Exactly. Tell me about the nose. What do we get on the nose? It's more of a, you know, It's a little red restrained, fruit. but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it is, it's like crushed or, or soft, like red fruit, like cherries and cranberries and a little raspberry. So more on the sour side of red fruit, but it has a floral nose to it as well. All right, let's throw it over the tongue. It's got nice acidity. It's bright and fresh. It's bright. It's got a medium mouthfeel. It's mm-hmm. not unctuous. It's not thin. No, yeah. It's mouth coating. I like the texture of it. I mean, I it think has a nice for rosé, what, what makes the difference between one and the other is this is definitely lip smacking, like you said. It is lip smacking. It's, it's like watermelon, it gets your, sour. Uh, yeah. But the texture is so silky. Like it has just like this, not glycerol, like sweetness, but it has like this very it's a terrific smooth rosé. Let's style. talk about food pairings with this. This is pretty diverse. I'm staring at Roberta's pizza <laughs> and saying, uh, "Rosé and pizza are my two favorite things." Does is rosé a good? Uh, oh yeah, this particular. I mean, one. so good. You think about the texture yeah. of cheese it, and you know just a simple pie. Everything. 
But I mean, if we're in summer and we're grilling chicken or we're having a little bit of like fried, you know, almost like Frito Misto, you can imagine that this is a really good Frito It'll Misto. Hold up to the fried foods and all that. Yeah. Calamari, it's a great whatever. Cocktail party wine. Yeah. All right. So let's just give me the. Uh, the vitals on this. So it's IOPA, I-O-P-P-A. Yes. It is... All the Nebbiolo. I, all Nebbiolo. It's the IOPA Rosé. Yes. It's available at good... I would say, yeah. You, ...wine you, stores. Mm-hmm. Not everywhere, but you could probably get online, get... In New York, it wouldn't be hard. Right. Give me retail range. I think it's probably $15 or less. So this falls under my... This is our uh, list one. You know what? I may have to add a category. Red, white, rosé. This is a good one. All right. So thank you for bringing this in. This is really a terrific wine. I know why you brought it in. All right. Now we're going to move to a little sparkler. We're going to try the uh, Schramsberg rosé champagne. So we're going sort of with the orange category mm-hmm. tonight. So we were both like-minded. We thought about yeah. bringing Jake, the spring Laura weather. First. Don't worry about that. So this is a pale. Kind of that same salmon color that we were saying yeah. on the Iopa, but it's um, a little bit lighter. It is almost. a little lighter. The, the color on the Iopa is beautiful. Yeah. All right, so... We look at this, Ooh. 2009, so That's it has right. a little bottle age, not yeah. too much. Um, let's look at the wine first. So we said it's a little pale, pale salmon. Do do you, as an expert, when you look at the bubbles, can you tell too big, too small, overcarbonated? I mean, does this look right? This is perfect. But okay. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that most, most of like our fine bubbly wines, they have similar mousse or similar bubbles. But, you know, obviously, if it's like something that's carbonated and they inject CO2, then it would be a little inferior. It's really wild, yeah. Yeah, this looks like classic style. All right, so let's go nose first. I mean, I think you really see that this is a 2009 vintage, which thank you for bringing. It's my MS vintage, so thank you. Oh, that's right. So that's very nice. I um, I meant to meet up with you that week, (laughs) but I got busy and forgot. Ah, So here we are. Thank you. All right, so 2009, pretty good year in Napa. I remember that. Absolutely. Um... What are we getting on the nose? This is showing really developed, right? But still fresh, so it has mushrooms. It has like that sort of custard, almost like when wow. you, right? You you get like this like yogurt, lemon yogurt, but ro- like pretty complex. Oh, it's so good. All right, so let's throw it over the tongue. Let's go mouthfeel first. For champagne. For champagne, it's, it's, I mean, this doesn't drink like it has any age. It's drinking fresher it's than young, the nose. It's fresh and vibrant. Yeah, so the texture is just like that clean, like really refreshing at the ends. Just it, it, very, very, very young tasting. I would never guess 2009. So that's a good thing because we don't want our wines to necessarily taste old, even though the, no. ar- the aroma makes you want to go back to it and keep drinking it. And I, I, you know, I don't want to diss Schramsberg. I'm a fan, the 09 vintage, but I don't know if this is a wine at the price point that you'd buy and hold for 25, 30 years. No, but. But seven years later, it's very vibrant and fresh. All right, so give me some palate descriptors. What are you getting there? So that little bit of mushroom, that little bit of like dried fruit instead of fresh fruit. When you say dried fruits, can you point to a specific fruit? Yes. So. I just had in my yogurt this morning dried cranberries, and this reminds me of that There's dried that tartness. Cranberries. And There's tart, but it's like shriveled red. up red right. fruit. So even like an overripe strawberry, but it has to be like dried out. You think about fruit roll-ups, you know, like those dried, right. dried right. red fruits. All right, now pairing this much yes. different than the iopa. I mean, does this yeah. have? What do you what do you do with this? You can be more serious with the food pairings for this. So I immediately started thinking about this juicy burger. And, you know, we have... So a, this would go good with a juicy burger? Oh, gosh. The blood so running good. down your arm? Yeah, you the know... The champagne in the other hand? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I had this burger with, like, a red wine fondue and bacon and mushrooms. And I'm like, wow. this is the perfect wine for that. What so, else? So burger, that's a good one. Um, you know, anything that has that earthy tone but still is a lighter dish. So if you had, you know, raviolis with... Let's say dry, or, you know, mushrooms. Like a brown sauce a brown with mushrooms. mushrooms. This is perfect. Yeah, those are good ones. So let's talk about the two wines. We like them both, right? 
I think they're both terrific wines. I'm more than pleasantly surprised on the IOPA. I think for 15, 20 bucks, whatever. So good. It's a spectacular wine. It's diverse. I think the Schramsberg, you know, you're the sparkling wine expert. For a California rose, it's fun. So good. Great color. It's delicious. It's versatile. And it's, you know, like I said, it's 25, 35 bucks, depending That's on so how good. you get close to the vintage. All right. I want to thank you for bringing that in. Thank you. And we're going to wrap up. If you have a question, a wine happening, or event, hit me up at Sam at the That's Sam at the Com. Follow us on Facebook, The Grape Nation, Instagram at S Ben Ruby, and Twitter at Ben Ruby, no S. And we want to thank our guest, Laura Manick. <laughs> I got it right finally. <laughs> proprietor of Cork Buzz Wine Restaurant and Studio. Cork Buzz Wine Studio, Cork Buzz Restaurant, Cork Buzz. Just call us, don't worry. There's <laughs> right. Cork Buzz. There's two in New York City. There's one on 13th Street right by Union Square. There's one in the very busy, terrific Chelsea Market. And in Charlotte, is it a neighborhood, downtown area? What would you call it? It's called South Park. South Park. Yeah, we're right right behind the Whole Foods and South Park. Now, you told me something earlier. I don't know if you could tell me on air. Can you mention that? Tomorrow, we're opening a new retail wine shop in Charlotte called The Cellar at Cork Buzz. So the seller at Cork Buzz is all the handles on Instagram and Twitter, but it's a small... uh, Curated. Exactly. Small curated wine shop and wine bar, which is inspired by the wine bars in Paris. So that's the type of place you would find in Iopa in uh, in Charlotte. Um, If people want to know more about Cork Buzz, give me a handle, corkbuzz.com. So it's corkbuzz.com and... Cork Buzz, at Cork Buzz on Instagram and on Twitter, and at Laura Manic on all of those handles okay. as well. Okay, M-A-N-I-E-C. Yes. Right? All right, so you got all the handles to know everything you want. Check it out. If you live in New York or you're in the area, check her classes out. Come in and try some stuff if you're in Charlotte. You know, stop by. So I want to thank you again, Laura. Thank you to our engineer, Vitor, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you have been listening to The Grape Nation. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.